Open with me in your Bibles to Matthew 18. Let me ask you a question. If I were to say to you, if you had a, maybe an issue with a brother or sister in Christ, and I said, did you follow Matthew 18? How many people here would know what I'm talking about? Raise your hand. reason I say that, there's a reason. There's always a reason I ask crazy questions. Because I'm going to be reading a long, a lot of text. And what we're doing this morning is I'm, I want us to see the big picture of Jesus' teaching here. So I'm not going verse by verse explaining every line and what they mean. And it's pretty familiar in this sense, the Matthew 18, is when your brother sins against you, right? What are you supposed to do? You go one-on-one first. You don't all of a sudden make it public. You want to do it private, right? And then you take it if they don't listen, unfortunately. You take uh, two with you so that uh, the matter of two or three witnesses and if they still don't repent, then you take it to the church. That's the process. But I'm not going to spend a lot of time giving all the details about that because I want us to see the big punch of Jesus' teaching here. So that's why I mentioned that. So it's Matthew 18. And like I said, don't be nervous. I'm reading a lot of, a lot of uh, text. I will not be dealing with it all uh, verse by verse, but rather portion by portion. So let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. And we're going to start in verse 10. 10 to 35. Hear the word of the Lord to you this morning. See that you do not look down on one of these little ones. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth. He is happier about that one sheep than about the ninety-nine that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should be lost. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault, just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. I tell you the truth. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, It'll be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. 
His fellow servant fell on his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and that word may bless it to our hearts and lives this morning. You may be seated. Believer in Christ, my fellow brother, sister, what's your attitude toward little ones who believe in Jesus and who are going astray? That is, wayward Christians. You look down on them? Do you say in your heart, oh, I knew he wasn't a solid believer. I could have told you that's where he was going to end up. Or do you reflect the values of your heavenly Father? Do you recognize their great worth to your heavenly Father and value them in the same way that Jesus and the Father value those who are losing their way, those who are wandering? Well, that's where we pick it up from last time where we were in our study of Matthew 18. A very brief summary in verse 1-9 to in response to the disciples' question, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus explained that in order to enter the kingdom, one has to leave all worldly, all proudly concerned for status, for position behind. That you have to change, you have to become like a little child, without status, on a level playing field with all the rest of God's children, trusting in God alone, bringing nothing in your hand, simply clinging to Christ and all of His provision all of His guidance, all of His care, and all of His mercy. And then Jesus goes on to explain, once you have humbly entered the kingdom by faith and left all that pride, left all that behind, the way to become great in the kingdom, He said, is you need to humble yourself like this little child. In other words, just the way you got in, you had to bow down low to get in, now that's the way you got to live in the kingdom. If you want to be considered great by the Father, that's kingdom values, then you need to walk humbly you know as micah put it um, love do justly love mercy and do what walk humbly with your god that's the way of the kingdom it's totally opposed to the values of this earth then jesus goes on to say those who do enter the kingdom humble themselves in order to become great in the kingdom sense They will not only come into the kingdom humbly, but they will welcome those who want to do the same. So other humble people who come and and rely on Jesus alone, not only will they welcome them willingly, hey, you're one of us, you're a nobody, you're a misfit toy, hey, you're welcome. But Jesus goes on to say something important. They also will not put a stumbling block. That's what the verses before talk about. Anybody who causes one of these little ones of mine to sin, remember what Jesus says, it's better that they take a milestone tied around their neck and throw themselves to the depths of the sea. So I think Jesus is pretty serious about this. 
And one more thing before we get into our text so you get the whole flavor of the context um, is this. Jesus says this. Normal, he reverses another value that we usually sinful nature has. He says, I want you to be ruthless with your own sin. <laughs> you want to be harsh with some sins? Be harsh with your own sins. That's where you need to be rough. Right? Your eye causes you to sin? Gently stroke it. He says, pull it out. Your hand causes you to sin? Cut the thing off. It's better to be in heaven with one hand than to be in hell with both. Right? So he goes from being serious and harsh with your own sin to turning around and saying, look, be gentle with the sins of my little ones. You see the change here? Be kind, be merciful, be patient as I am with you. That's the context. Well, now he gets to the point in his sermon, his talk here, because it's interesting, you're, I'm preaching on a sermon. I'm giving a sermon about a sermon. That's always interesting to me. And that's why I want to keep it all together and not atomize it so we miss the big punch. But now he goes on to, tar- to turn to talk about our attitude toward the wandering little ones, toward those, a brother and sister in Christ who's a professed, professed believer who is now losing their way. That's the context because Jesus goes on to say, you know, what do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one goes astray, so it's the context of a little one who begins to lose his way. What's your attitude toward them? That's what we're going to be talking about. And let me say this, and then we're going to jump right into it. Let me put this another way. In this passage, Jesus is giving us some of the core values of the church he promised to build in Matthew 16. You know how each of our different local churches, we have our core values that make us a little distinct? Well, Jesus is saying this, these are core values for every one of my churches. It is to be at the heart of the temperature, of the climate, of the fellowship. And specifically, these core values have to do with how we relate one to another in the church of Jesus Christ. Especially when we stray from God or someone strays from God and the things of God in general or if they sin against us in particular. Now listen, this couldn't be more practical. It couldn't be more relevant or more needed in the church of Jesus Christ today. I'm excited about this passage because I, I got to say, it really beat me up good this week. As it was perking inside of me, I was taking some, ooh, ow, oof. That hurts. But it it provides great fruit and blessing later. Because again and again, I'll tell you why it's practical. Again and again, we fall into one of two errors, and sometimes we fall into both of the errors. Either we expect the church of Jesus Christ to be so perfect that as soon as, oh no, we find that there's sin in the midst of her, we all of a sudden say, see, organized religion is a bunch of malarkey, the church is filled with hypocrites, yada, 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 blah, blah, blah. We go from that extreme, or we go to another extreme, if we don't pay attention to these words. We go to a loosey-goosey fellowship type of an attitude where anything goes, no matter how blatant the sin or how unrepentant the sinner, it's like, oh, in the name of love, we accept everything. And those are two drastic extremes that Jesus, our perfect Lord and Savior, the best teacher that ever walked this planet, he avoids both. 
And He teaches us we need to walk that middle road no matter how difficult, no matter how strenuous, no matter how narrow when it comes to dealing with sin in the church and particularly the little ones, humble ones, who've lost their way. So that's what we're going to see here. So the first thing in this text, um, we're going to kind of do, um, I used to uh, have these this books, these books when I was a little boy, and I think it was um, Something Make and Do was the name of it. It was um, so the Create, Make and Do. Well, I'm going to have that kind of a, a outline this morning, and it's going to be this. See, show, and let it go. That's it. Simple three points. Jesus says it. See, show, and let it go. That's what we're going to see in this text. So let's take a look at the first one, and that is C. Look with me, if you would, in verse 10. Jesus says this, See that you do not look down on one of these little ones. And although Jesus brought a child before him, the little ones he's talking about, he he explains it further in verse 6 earlier, little ones are those who believe in him humbly, who change like a little child, leave it all behind, and receive Christ. See to it that you do not look down on one of these little ones. What Jesus is talking about here is our attitudes. And what he says is, see to it, make sure. Now listen, Christian, please listen. When your Lord, your Master, your Savior says, see to it, you need to listen. Because He's saying, make sure you do this. Be very concentrated. Be very focused. Be, make, take great pains to make sure. And here's what He tells you to do. Make sure, He says, that you don't look down on one of these little ones. And the context, as I mentioned, shows it's those who believe in Him who are beginning to lose their way, who are, are faltering, who are falling. The lost. And, and in this, it's interesting, in Luke's Gospel, when he talks about the lost sheep, he's dealing with those who aren't in the church yet. Unbelievers. You leave the 99, you go find the one lost. In Matthew's Gospel, when he, when, when he refers to the lost sheep, he's talking about in the fellowship. That's the context. Those who lose their way, who have already come to Christ. And who for one way, one reason or another are beginning to fall into sin and lose their way. And here's the, the reason he has to say don't look down on these little ones. Because we are tempted to look down on those who fall. We are tempted to judge in an unbiblical way. We are tempted. Now listen, let's be real. Let's be honest. Oh, some of us say, I'm glad they're not coming anymore. Man, they were annoying the world out of me. You know, it's, it's some of us, you see them coming, you're like, oh no, energy is going to be expended. I'm just being honest now, I'm being real. And the temptation is to, to kind of despise them. Kind of like, oh, not this guy or this girl again. Really? And, and, or, or we think we're so strong, we're standing firm, and like, oh, why are they so weak? They, they fell into that again. It's the same story. Peter's going to deal with that later, isn't he? How many times, Lord? <laughs> So our Lord flatly tells us, it's a command, see to it that you don't despise them. But then he tells us why. Look at this. Here's the core value I want you to see. He tells us, in short, because they're greatly 
valued by the Father. Listen, you may not value him, because look, remember, the whole thing started how? Who's the greatest, right? And in the world, who's the greatest? People who have positions. Pharisees, oh, they love to have the robes, and, and when they would walk into a room, they want everybody to go, ooh, status. Caesar, Herod, these are great people. But what Jesus is saying is the the values of my Father, the values of the kingdom, stand that on their head. Just any simple one who has put their trust in me, they are exalted to a high place for the Father. The Father takes it very personal how you deal with them because they are valuable. You want to see how valuable? It's one of the most, I must admit, one of the hardest verses to understand. (laughs) It's kind of a neat saying here. This is how much. Listen to this. For I tell you, that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. Look, there's a play on words a little bit here. See that you don't despise them because God has angels seeing my Father's face daily on their behalf. Now, what does that exactly mean? I could go and tell you the different things that all the commentators believe this means, but let me just flat out tell you this. Nobody knows. In other words, nobody knows exactly what these angels are doing but what we do know is angels are ministering spirits and they minister to those who inherit salvation hebrews tells us that and so some way shape or form god has angels in charge or representative of his little ones god cares so much they have representation in heaven isn't that awesome now look we think about this is what we think makes somebody great oh man this person has a yacht Or this person has a penthouse. You tracking with me? God says, oh yeah, I'll see you one and I'll raise you ten. This one has a flaming, fiery servant of God in the face of God the Father himself. Can you beat that one? In other words, this is how your father values such a one. How dare you look down on them? You are to value the same thing your father values. What do you value, my brother and my sister? Are your values in line with the core values of Jesus' church? Not just New City Fellowship of Atlantic City, but the church that Jesus is building worldwide. And look at this. He says this. And sometimes we think, oh, somebody's fallen into sin. I guess their value depreciates. It's interesting. It looks like, in a sense, their value not only does it not depreciate, it appreciates. Look, verse 12 with me. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine in the hills and go to look for the one who wandered off? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he is happier about that one sheep than about the ninety-nine that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should be lost. That's the bottom line. Your Father cares so much for them. They're so valuable. He's not willing that even one of these little ones will get lost in the cracks. So here's the interesting thing. Whereas verses 10 to 14 deal with our attitude toward wayward little ones who believe in Jesus and how we are to value them. Now, verses 15 to 20 show us how to restore such a wandering sheep so that we could be basically the hands and the feet of the Father and of the Son as He seeks to bring them back to the fold. 
So in other words, it's going to avoid all sentimentalism. Oh, they're so valuable. Oh, we love them. Well, if we do, Jesus says, you're going to do this. So the first one is see that you don't despise them. The second second one is this, show. This is what we'll do if we see a little one falling. We will show him his sin for his own good, that he would repent of it. Look at verses 15 to 17. I'll just read it. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you've won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now, one of the reasons I asked that question earlier is because if you have been in the church for any length of time, um, normally you, you will have heard of these verses. And so what I wanted to do this morning is keep my comments focused and to a minimum about this particular section. And I just want to make a few points about it, and then I only have one more thing to show you from the text, okay? So let me just do that. First of all, I think it's important for us to say this. Notice, it says, if your brother sins. Now, why do I say that? Because it's not saying, if your brother annoys you. Very big difference. Or, if your brother tends to disagree with you on a disputable matter. Whether to wear a tie or not wear a tie. Do we play drums? Do we not? No, it doesn't say that. Does it? And it also doesn't say, if your brother rubs you the wrong way. It's very clear if he sins. And you don't have a right to say what sin is. This does. Okay? Secondly, this process that we see here, and and this this was a big aha for me in studying this passage. This process is taught in the context of bringing back a straying brother and sister in Christ. So it should be used only when necessary and not overused. Now, I know I'm not supposed to be, I, I, I do a confessional behind the pulpit, but I've got to sometimes just show you how this works in real life. We all know those folks who every little infraction you do, brother, I have a concern. And you know, like when my wife would say, let's just say John, uh, honey, John is on the phone. I would do the whole, ugh. And I, what did I do now? <laughs> you follow me? And it was always some picadillo where I'd be like, okay, brother, yeah, brother, you know. Um, he, it, the point that I'm making here is we should not use it ad nauseum or overuse it for every little thing. And, I, and I'll tell you why. I have biblical reasons to say so. Let me give you a good reason. Proverbs 19.11. A man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to what? Overlook an offense. So the point is, this is is kind of a rule of thumb. If someone did something and you could say, you know, in the name of love, in the name of forbearance, in the name of patience, I'm going to overlook this. If you could do that, great, do it by the grace of God. And believe me, the rest of the church will be saying, amen. No, if you can do it. But there are some times that we know that when we see a brother or sister is engaging in something that we know is is harmful to them, it's harmful to the glory of God, it's harmful, harmful to the larger fellowship, we know, okay, now it's time that maybe we have to initiate this particular procedure. Okay? I think that's important. Thirdly, some folks go to the other extreme 
and this is important to say in our day and age, and think that we never, no one in the church ever has a right to confront you about your behavior. And that's the, the total other side, the loosey-goosey, all, you know, everything goes in the church. And what they do is they do it in the name of it isn't loving to confront your brother. But what's interesting, let's look at this text. Jesus says the opposite is the case. If you have concern, if you have love for, your, for the little one that's going astray, you're going to go after him. You know, someone said, what's the opposite of love? It's not hate. It's what? Indifference. That's convicting to me. Because I can easily write people off, even though I still love them, but pfft, it's kind of just... Pfft. No. Such a wandering sheep is so valuable to your Father in heaven that he'll leave the 99, right? And go for the one. 